Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Jason Kenney steps down as leader of the United Conservative Party in Alberta. While 51% of the vote passes the constitutional threshold of a majority, it clearly is not adequate support to continue on as leader. And that is why tonight, I have informed the president of the party of my intention to step down as leader of the United Conservative Party. Ed Fast is no longer the Conservative Party's finance critic after speaking out against Pierre Poilievre's vow to fire the Bank of Canada governor. I am deeply troubled by suggestions by one of our leadership candidates that that candidate would be prepared to interfere already at this stage in the independence of our central bank. And Russia closes CBC's Moscow bureau in response to Canada banning Russian state TV. Obviously the truth, responsible journalism, sharing what's actually going on with citizens is a deep threat to Vladimir Putin and his illegal war and his authoritarian tendencies. It's Thursday, May 19th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. Good morning, John. Morning, Mark. So Jason Kenney is stepping down as leader of the United Conservative Party, in which he it's a party he was instrumental in founding. Uh, he's only been premier for three years, and this is another change in Alberta politics. Uh, it was a it was a province where there used to be a lot of stability in terms of who was leading the 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 province, who was leading each party. Uh, now there's been all this change and transition. Uh, nobody seems to be able to hang on to the job of premier for very long. And Jason Kenney uh, is is going to be out as premier. This is obviously a big story in Alberta, but I think there are undertones to this story that connect to the future of the conservative movement across Canada, aren't there? I think so, yeah. I mean, uh, Jason Kenney was one of the most Able ministers under the under Stephen Harper uh, goes to Alberta. I think it's a major shock to those of us who, who saw him perform in Ottawa that uh, he's had so many problems there. He, he hasn't seemed to be able to translate that ability to uh, well. Obviously, he united the right in Alberta, but he hasn't been able to, to bring them the two parties together. That was the, the Conservative Party there and the Wild Rose Party, but these. These difficulties have been rumbling for a while, and, and I, to be honest, I wasn't that shocked when when he said he was going to go when he only got 51% of the vote. A couple of thoughts. First of all, when he was in, in Ottawa, uh, he was the, the jobs minister. He was the minister. Like he, he used to refer to it as the welfare minister. He wanted to be the foreign affairs minister, but because of his position on China, that was probably never going to happen. And he mulled the idea of just quitting politics and, and going into the priesthood. Uh, the devout Catholic and, and told friends this is what he was going to do. So I think the idea of getting out of politics if it's not going well for him is not entirely new. He obviously didn't do that because he got the defence minister job, which was a pretty good compensation for foreign affairs. He then goes to to Alberta and it doesn't go doesn't go well for him. And you know, fifty one percent is not no basis to to uh, to run a party. I mean. Ralph Klein got 55% in 2006, and, and he was out. So it was clear that if he was going to limp along, I mean, 50 plus 1% was technically enough, but, but uh, it was clear he wasn't going to get an overwhelming mandate. 
in which case he was going to have to limp along and try and bring these uh, disparate sides of the party together. And I think that was never going to be easy. So he's now said he's 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 going to quit as leader, although he is going to stay on in the interim until they find a, a new leader. And it's possible he might even run for the job again. I do think that my, my the one lesson I learned from him saying when he was going to quit, quit to join the priesthood was that uh, while he told friends that he maybe didn't, mean it, and that politics is always in his blood. So I'm not so sure this is the end of Jason Kenney. Yeah. But I think more broadly, does it raise questions about whether conservatives truly can unite? If they can't unite in Alberta, can they unite nationally? Because that's a question that's that's that has to arise out of this. He was he was criticized on all sides for his handling of the pandemic, and it appears that the conservative side of the party found he wasn't conservative enough, and that that was part yeah. of his downfall. And and that's sort of the challenge facing anybody who would take on the federal leadership of the conservatives, right? Right. Well, I mean, you would imagine it's it's more easy to get uh, unanimity of opinion in Alberta, which is generally more conservative than, than the rest of the country. You know, it would not appear to be beyond the bounds of a, a strong, competent leader to bring everybody together in Alberta. Certainly more easy than, than doing that across the country when you've got, when you obviously you're dealing with Quebec and Ontario and, and every other province. You know, I think COVID was an exceptional event. Kenny was forced to do things that he didn't want to do that was, were not in his, not instinctual to him. So, you know, I think that barring another pandemic, it is possible for a a leader potentially, you know, let's somebody like Danielle Smith, who is, who is uh, I think, could appeal to all sides in Alberta. I think she'll run. I think Brian Jean, the former uh, MP, will run. You know, they could do, they could bring this party back together, but I, you're going to think that the odds and Rachel Notley becoming the next premier in an election 12 months from now I've just shortened considerably. Yeah. All right, let's turn to the federal conservatives, John. Uh, the uh, finance critic Ed Fast uh, spoke out against Pierre Poilievre's uh, promise to fire the Bank of Canada governor, and uh, and he was removed from that portfolio for getting involved in the leadership race effectively. Um, but But again, there's an example of the kind of fractures that exist within the Conservative Party. I, I know in, it's not unusual in a leadership race for people to have different points of view over the future direction of a political party, but it seems like there is a lot at stake in this one, and and Pierre Polyev represents something that many Conservatives embrace and others are concerned about, and that's that might be what this whole leadership race is about. Yeah, well, you know, Ed Fast is the co-chair of Jean Charest's campaign. So, you know, he was always in a difficult spot if he started talking about issues in the leadership race as conservative finance critic. But Ed Fast is a very respected, almost a vuncular figure in the conservative caucus. And Pierre Poilievre came out last night with a statement that took a shot at him. And I can't imagine that's a good idea. I mean, I do, from what Fast said, he felt he was being muzzled and pressured by while he had supporters in caucus. And I do think he was in a position of conflict. If he's the finance critic and he's criticizing a rival leadership can- candidate on uh, finance issues, probably not a great idea. I think you probably have to uh, excuse yourself from the, or recuse yourself from that, from that position. 
you know, the idea of attacking Ed Fast publicly, you know, it's, it's you know, this this is almost like the, the Polyev camp wants to liberate the Conservative Party and doesn't care if they leave it a smoking ruin. And I do think that uh, it's it, this has been incredibly divisive rhetoric. This is not a typical uh, leadership campaign. I mean, I know it sometimes gets heated. Last time with, uh, with O'Toole and McKay, it got a bit heated. But this is just providing ammunition for the Liberals in the next election. All right. Finally, John, let's talk about uh, the situation with Russia. Uh, the, the Russian government shut down the CBC's Moscow Bureau, uh, apparently in retaliation for Canada uh, uh, blocking Russian state television from being shown in this country. Um, it's it's probably not not a big thing in the grand scheme of things in terms of this this overall conflict and and the escalating tensions in that part of the world. But uh, what do you think about that and the and all of the measures that Canada and other countries are putting in place to exert pressure on Russia after its invasion of Ukraine? Well, I guess not entirely unexpected. I mean, the nuance is that it was the CRTC that removed uh, Russia today from uh, broadcasting in Canada, not directly the government. Uh, and, and obviously the CBC operates independently of the government. So, you know, it wasn't. it's not exactly a, a direct tit for tat, but that's that's the way the Russians saw it. I think it does, um, it does show that if, for example, we were to kick out the Russian ambassador and all Russian diplomats, the Russians would obviously do the same thing to, to us. And I think it is a, a good thing in the long run to have some ties in Moscow officially. So, um, I mean, it is a, it's a, an example of what happens when, when you take action. But, uh, you know, I mean, I, I ended up on the list of people who were, uh, who were sanctioned by, by Putin, along with six, 60 other people. This is, it didn't really have a direct influence on my ability to report. Obviously, this is going to have a direct influence on the ability of CBC reporters to report exactly what the mood is in Russia. And that's, uh, that's a little troubling because I think it is interesting for, for us to know what is happening in, in Moscow and how, and how our sanctions and our actions are being received there. So not good all round. All right, John, great to have your insights on all of this today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mark. That's John Iveson of the National Post. Central banks around the world have struggled with the same challenges that our central bank has struggled with. And uh, I believe it's imprudent to attack uh, the governor. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Hill Times, Tim Powers argues, it's time for Pierre Poilievre's caucus supporters to speak out. Powers writes, Poilievre's fellow leadership candidates have called him out on his assertion that he would fire the governor of the Bank of Canada. But where are his caucus supporters? Why aren't they speaking up or asking him to reconsider his position here? He has many smart MPs backing him, and while I know they don't want to submarine their candidates' chances, they have a higher responsibility to call out ridiculous suggestions that cut to the core of the Conservative Party's brand. Selling dangerous fiction, which, if it ever became reality, would be destabilizing to the country, needs to be called out by all. In the Toronto Star, Susan Delacorte considers Justin Trudeau's impact on Ontario's election campaign. 
Delacorte writes, The Prime Minister has a recurring cameo role as Doug Ford's reliable friend in Ottawa. After that election eve announcement for the auto industry in Windsor, the progressive conservative leader has dropped occasional references to how well he works with the Trudeau government. It's a far cry from how Ford talked about Trudeau four years ago, and he isn't making the same boasts about campaign crossover with his federal cousins. He's just as likely, in fact, to say he's the kind of politician who can get along with the red team in Ottawa. In the Montreal Gazette, Alex Wilmer argues Canada must learn to play hardball on cyber deterrence. Wilmer writes, In an era where malware can be more devastating than bombs in terms of disabling a nation's stability, Canada's cybersecurity strategy is finally evolving. And while this new urgency is welcome, deciding to apply deterrence is one thing. Making it work is quite another. Deterrence entails using a combination of threats and incentives to persuade adversaries not to attack. It hinges on intent, capability, and communication. To be effective, Canadian cyber deterrence requires a combination of all three. Cyber deterrence is a worthy objective, but it's also much harder than it sounds. Canada needs to plan for it accordingly. Now here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will speak with the Prime Minister of Sweden. Before chairing the Cabinet meeting, he will also chair a meeting of the Incident Response Group on the war in Ukraine. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will arrive at the G7 Finance Ministers and Central Bank Governors meeting in Bonn, Germany, where she will hold bilateral meetings with G7 partners throughout the day. And NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will speak at the Liuna Local 3000 Leadership Seminar in Toronto. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, May 19th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.